Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I am Susan Drummond, City of Kirkland Hearing Examiner Pro Tem. Uh, today is Thursday morning, 9.30 a.m., August 28, 2021. We're here on the appeal of a zoning code interpretation number 21-4. If I can have the party representatives introduce themselves, and just the party representatives, it looks like there's a, a number of other people on, online as well. Uh, I'm Stephanie Kroll, the Senior Assistant City Attorney for the City of Kirkland, and I have Adam Weinstein, the Planning Director here, and also in the room is Don Nelson, the uh, Planning Supervisor? Planning Manager. Planning Manager. I apologize there. So there are three of us in the room. Good morning. Good morning, Madam Hearing Examiner. My name is Dean Williams. Uh, John's Monroe, Mitsunaga, and Koloshkova, and I'm here today representing Merritt Holmes. We have here uh, also on the screen Josh Lyson, president and owner of Merritt Homes, and Mike Smith, development manager, Merritt Homes. And of course, we also have uh, Vicki Eurico of Council with JMMK. Thank you. Good morning. Um, so what I have received to date is the, the staff packet, which is 32 pages. It includes um, staff's recommendation, uh, the interpretation, um, Merritt Holmes appeal from uh, August 31st of this year, uh, as well as a letter from September 3rd, um, also of this year, and then attachments four and five, uh, which are illustrations of various projects. Are there any other materials that I should have at this point that I do not? Um, Madam Hearing Examiner, the city will be presenting with a PowerPoint presentation and we would like to move to have that admitted into the record. Okay. Uh, are there any objections to that? I mean, I haven't seen it. And we, a... we, you can wait to see it and make objections there. So we'll reserve objections on that. Um, with respect to the other exhibits, um, the staff packet that I just referred to, are there any objections to the mission of that, that packet? No objections. Uh, I believe you said you had 32 pages and I have 33. Is that correct? I, I did say 32. It's uh, my guess is um, one of us miscounted or okay. <laughs> 32. Okay. I won't worry about it then. Okay. All right. Well, that, that, uh, that document is admitted. We'll hold on um, the, the PowerPoint right now. Um, so we didn't hold a pre-hearing conference on this. It didn't look like it was necessary um, given that this really appears to be primarily legal issues. Um, but the defer to the parties on the order of procedure, but on this, since the appellant would have the burden of proof, I would contemplate that the, the appellant, Merritt Holmes, would uh, proceed first, um, followed by the city. Um, did the parties have any comments or input on the order of procedure this morning? None from us, uh, Madam Hearing Examiner. I propose to give a brief opening statement and then call Josh Lyson to speak a little bit about the projects he has and how this code interpretation affects them. Okay. All right. Um, any, Ms. Kroll, any comments from the city side on no. procedure, order of procedure? Oh, that, that is fine for the appellant to go first. Okay. All right. Um, before we commence, any other procedural questions from either of the parties? 
Nope. Okay. All right. Um, well, Mr. Williams, uh, you may go ahead and proceed with your opening argument um, if you wish. Thank you very much. Um, I, I do have, you know, multiple screens here. And so please forgive me if my eyes are not always straight into the camera. Um, good morning. Uh, the subject code interpretation violates the director's authority under Kirkland Code. It is an impermissible tax or fee under RCW 8202020 and violates the Washington State Constitution. This is true, whether considered facially or as applied to merit homes. The interpretation provides that adjacent projects, whether developed on the same timeline or not, that share one single commonality, whether that be an applicant, a property owner, access or utilities, will be treated as a single project for purposes of open space requirements. This would mean that more open space per unit is required for otherwise separate projects that qualify for lesser open space requirements. The interpretation purports to provide a common sense and logical conclusion to the Kirkland City Council's intent. However, in effect, the interpretation dictates when and whether a particular property owner or applicant must submit applications to develop their property without the statutorily required justifications. The interpretation will have a chilling effect on the provision and development of the very sort of affordable housing that the Kirkland Cottage Code is intended to create. In essence, the interpretation attempts to solve a problem that simply does not exist and does so in a way that violates the law. Merritt Holmes is perfectly content to comply with Kirkland city codes and zoning codes. Our concern is only with the director's interpretation of an otherwise clear code provision pursuant to Kirkland zoning code 145105. The hearing examiner has the power to reverse the decision being appealed. We ask that the hearing examiner reverse code interpretation 21-4, a decision of the director. And now I would like to call Josh Lyson owner and president of Merritt Homes. Okay. Uh, good morning, Mr. Lyson. I think I'm gonna go ahead and swear you in. If you could state your name for the record. Uh, good morning, Madam Hearing Examiner. My name is Josh Lyson. And you swear or affirm to tell the truth under penalty or perjury under the laws of the state of Washington? I do. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, please introduce yourself. Good morning. Uh, my name is Josh Lyson. I'm the owner and president of Merritt Homes. Uh, Merritt has been an active land developer and home builder in Kirkland for 20 years. Uh, Merritt is among the most active home builders in Kirkland. Uh, we currently have 94 lots at various stages of the Kirkland permit process, 45 of which are part of the cottage and ADU code path. Uh, we have 20 employees and work with a small army of trade partners and consultants. Okay. Are you familiar with code interpretation 21-4? I am. And does this code interpretation affect projects for which merit is the applicant? It, it does. Okay, can you please tell us uh, a bit about those projects? Sure, there's four projects in particular. I'll just go through each of the four. Uh, the Brown project, um, I met Mr. Brown, he's the landowner of this property uh, back in 2003 when I was just getting started in the business. Uh, I distinctly remember the conversation that he would not sell his large parcel of land for less than a million dollars. 
And at the time, that was just an inconceivable amount of money. Uh, and so it didn't work. Uh, we stayed in loose contact. And if you fast forward to February of 2020, uh, we were uh, the fortunate bidder among many to purchase his property for 2.5 million. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that was right when COVID hit shortly thereafter. And uh, because of all the uncertainty of the pandemic and then construction got shut down, we were in our feasibility period still and we, we withdrew our interest in the property. Um, fast forward a little bit, uh, when construction opened back up and, uh, and we felt the ground was firm, we were able to renegotiate with Mr. Brown and we got back into contract uh, in July of 2020 uh, with the closing date of, of December, uh, 2021. Um, it's we a plan for a nine unit cottage project. It's on two separate tax parcels. It contains uh, a common space, uh, which is actually 3,437 square feet, although the required common space is only 2,700 square feet. So we're exceeding what's required by code. Uh, other noteworthy items, it's a, there's a 75-foot power line easement over the east portion of the site. There's also a significant wetland buffer that extends onto the site from the southeast corner. So there's some, there's some challenges to make this Rubik's Cube of a project uh, work. And, and presently, there is an active LSM on the property. Um, we just submitted that here this, this fall. So there is one active LSM permit in for review. Can you so tell us briefly what, what LSM means? Oh, I'm sorry. Land surface modification. That's the permit for doing the utility construction, you know, the, the horizontal uh, sewers, stormwater, uh, roads, et cetera. So that's the first project. The second project is, uh, we call it by the seller's last name, Babsanoff. I'll just call it Babs for short here. Um, that is adjacent to the Brown project on the south side of it, just a portion of the south side. And it's a 9,600 square foot site. Um, and uh, we got into contract on that one in March of 2020. And again, due to COVID uncertainty right after that, uh, we backed out during our feasibility period. Uh, it wasn't till June, I'm sorry, January of this year, January of 2021, we were able to get back into contract with Babs and Off. Um, and uh, and that we we will do that. I'm sorry. That has a closing date of February of 2022. Um, uh, and that will we will do. A, we're able to get into contract. One of the reasons we're the best candidates to buy that property is because we can do a lot line adjustment to give a few extra square feet from Brown off to Babsonoff uh, to make uh, the project work. Um, that's Babs. Uh, the third project. Yeah, there's no active development permit on BABS, let's say that, there's nothing, we're on hold pending this appeal. The third project is known as Bradley. Um, that's a 9,849 square foot site in a cul-de-sac off of Northeast 108th Street. Uh, we had built two homes in that cul-de-sac a couple of years prior and got to know Bradley. Um, uh, that closes the, the purchase price. We got a contract on December 3rd, 2020, and we will close on that December 1st, 2021. There's no active LSM permit on it. Um, and that'll be a three, well, hopefully a three lot cottage project. Um, the fourth project uh, abuts Bradley on the south side. And it's, we call this project Wu. That's the seller's last name, Wu. 
And Wu accesses on a cul-de-sac off of Northeast 107th. And it's a 13,770 square foot site. And we are, that we've done many homes in this cul-de-sac already. We did two homes initially three years ago. We are just completing four homes, two short plats, two two lot short plats this, like right now, this fall. Uh, we've sold two of them. We've got the other two uh, getting finished right now. Um, and Wu was intended to be a four unit cottage project. Um, we got into contract on Wu on February 19th, 2021. Uh, to make Wu work, we had to buy a portion of the side yard of the property to the east of Wu through a lot line adjustment. We actually have not uh, closed on that lot line adjustment property yet. Um, we, uh, yeah, we got mutual on Wu. February 2021, we closed on it July 19th, 2021. Um, and there is an active LS per, LSM permit on that one uh, as of this, this fall. Okay, thank you. There's a lot of information. Um, let's, let's go back to Babs. So you mentioned uh, a lot line adjustment um, and that that was, that was necessary. Can you tell us a little more about that? Well, the seller, you know, a lot of sellers are, you know, they know it's up market. They wanted a lot of money for their property. We couldn't make it work with the land they had available to sell us. However, because we already had control of the Brown property, not uncommon, we were able to do a small lot line adjustment to give Babs a few extra square feet to, uh, to make it work Uh as, as either a two lot short plat or a three unit cottage project or uh, a single home with two ADUs. Um, um, and in pursuant of you know, the city's new code uh, and address the missing middle, uh, we're excited to pursue the cottage code path and, uh, and put three units on it. But to be clear, are, are you saying that none of those options you just discussed penciled for you without oh, the lot line adjustment? Correct. That's why we were the unique buyer for the property. Yeah. But it did take us a long time to negotiate that with the seller. And so it sounds like you have two pairs of property here. Is that a fair way to characterize yep. it? Correct. Okay. Is your ownership interest in each of these projects the same? You, you spoke of closings and... Yeah, correct. So we do not currently own um, um, we do not currently own uh, let's see Babs. Uh, we close on that next year, February. We don't. We do not own Brown. We close on that in December. Uh, we do own Wu. Uh, we closed on that in July of this year, and we do not own Bradley. So we only own currently one of the four. Okay. Uh, and let's talk about the timeline for, for each of these properties. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Brown and Babs are adjacent to each other, correct? Brown and Babs are adjacent to each other, correct. All right. So tell us a little bit about the timeline on how you approached each of these properties. Was it the same time, separate? Well, again, Brown, one we had known... Like we, had, we had our sights on it since 2003. Uh, it's a big project. It stands on its own, nine units. Uh, it's a lot of land, which is unique for Kirkland. Uh, and so that was 
going down the path uh, of it, not, you know, multiple short, uh, some pre submittal meetings, civil engineering queued up, storm drain only works on the west side of it. So we've been well invested in the Brown project for over well over a year. Uh, and not only project management time, but civil engineering, uh, pre submittal, several pre submittal meetings to get this new cottage code to work with, you know, city's understanding of it. Um, and then Babs, you know, we didn't, we, although we had started a conversation with them, it was, it was always thought of as separate, uh, different access. They didn't have enough room uh, to do. It was 9,600 square feet. It was not a two lot short plat. It was a single house is what could be done and the numbers didn't work. And it was only after we got through figuring out what we're gonna do with Brown, cause that was the big whale of a property that we realized, well, we do have a few extra square feet. We could lot line adjustment off to make Babs work, uh, but we were not going to sacrifice Brown for that. That was already, you know, paid, you know, negotiated and, and, and planned going forward. So that was the Brown Babs one, but the Bradley Wu one, again, we were already doing work in each of those two uh, cul-de-sacs uh, for years on separate projects, not adjacent to each other. And we just developed those relationships with the neighbors through year, you know, over the years. Uh, they weren't ready to sell, and then they were, and then the market prices kept going up. And so we finally got a number that was attractive to them. So we just never know the timing of, of how they come together. Um, it's been a very dynamic market. And, and so those were totally independent projects. Uh, separate accesses, just everything's separate. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Um, would it be fair to say that with Wu and Bradley, your, your opportunity to uh, develop these parcels really came out of those individuals seeing you around the block, as it were? Oh, for sure. We were adjacent. We're already right there, construction vehicles in the cul-de-sac. Um, we've been talking to them a long time. Yeah. Okay. And uh, of these four projects, are you providing common open space in any of them? The Brown project has, uh, whatever I've said there, over 3,600 square feet of common open space, more than required. Uh, the Babs, there's no room for it. It's not required. Uh, the Bradley Woo, there's no effective room for it, and it's not required. Not required. Oh. Absent this interpretation, is that? Correct. Absent this interpretation. Bra Bradley is... Common open space is required when you do five or more cottage units in a project. And Wu is four units, so it's not required. Bradley's three units, so it's not required. Okay. So if, if you were required then, if, if Brown and Babs were treated as a single project for common open space requirements, what would you have to do? Oh, we would lose, you know, well over a year of timing. We'd have to reconfigure significant portions of the site in order to make the southern portion of Babs, adding that on to make common space common, about 50% of the units, units. So we'd have to redo civil engineering. We'd lose all of our site work and we would lose a unit. Uh, we wouldn't, uh, well, I should say we would add three units, but the common open space requirement would could, could potentially lose one of those cottage units or make the site much less desirable. Uh, for access and parking and private spaces. Um, 
further, it would put us in uh, into affordable housing uh, units. When you exceed 10 units, you're now required to do affordable housing. So that would throw another uh, downward pressure on the performa that was not considered prior. Okay. So how do you think this interpretation has affected your, your goals, your evaluations, your plans, and what you, what you might submit for an application? Well, we must know when we make an offer on a parcel, what we can build on that parcel. I mean, we're, we're to have to go into the city and ask them what we can build is not practical. I mean, we understand, you know, there's, code requirements for utilities and uh, setbacks and preserve trees and sensitive areas. We understand those need to be sorted out, but to uh, go to them and not be able to know which code path we're even going down, is it single family, is it short plat, is it cottages? That's, that's never been done before. And I don't see how that works given the uh, tight timelines and what we're paying for property. Have you ever had to consider, well, if I acquire an adjacent property, how is that going to change what I planned to build on the, the first property? Well, that's what this new code interpretation does, right? It prevents certain or requires a certain code path. If we, um, is that, that's the quandary here is, uh, what we can build on one property should not be dependent on what we code path or prop we build on adjacent properties, whether we require them now or years down the road. Okay. Um, so what attracted you to building cottage homes on these, these parcels? Well, a number of things, you know, we've been building in Kirkland for a long time, over 20 years. A uh, common question we get asked is, do you have something, you know, under $2 million uh, that's available? Um, and, uh, and the answer has been no in recent years. And uh, so to build a lower priced product that's new, that could be appealed to a larger pool of buyers, more affordable uh, in that regard. Uh, also, uh, you know, this addresses the missing middle. We get to build more of these uh, units uh, that are more affordable. But the third thing I'd say is the, uh, we get to the timeline, you know, these projects take multiple years to do. And having done this and lived through 2008 and other downturns, the, the future is no guarantee. And so to sh this cottage project uh, goes down a much shorter code path than the short plat project uh, code path. So that's very appealing as well. Okay. Um, of, of these two pairs of projects, how long do you think the city has been aware of your intention to develop each of them individually? We uh, submitted uh, uh, Brown uh, for a pre middle meeting in January 6th of 2020. Uh, we submitted Babs uh, for a pre middle meeting request in April 20th of 2021. Um, is, that a, is that a split of more than a year between them on pre middle? Yes. Okay. So, so they knew it when Babs was submitted. 
uh, obviously not the early one, right? Um, um, and then the Bradley Wu was submitted at the same time, the same date, March 18th, 2021. They were submitted, two separate applications submitted the same date. And then we had pre-submittal meetings on those. Did anyone at the city ever question your intention to build cottages out uh, as two separate lot considerations? During the pre-submittal meeting of uh, the Wu Bradley project, it was mentioned on the call um, that they were thinking of maybe doing something with adjoining parcels at some point, but there was no specifics as to what uh, or the timeline. Um, nothing was verbalized or given in writing as what the specifics would be. Okay. Do you believe this code interpretation is targeted at these projects? Most definitely. I actually uh, talked to a number of other my development colleagues, other businesses, other developers in Kirkland who are doing cottages. Not everybody's doing them. Um, and they are they didn't have uh, other projects that were affected by this code interpretation. Um, yeah, it, it, it appears these are the projects subject to that targeted. Uh, did anyone at the city try to discuss this code interpretation with you prior to issuing it or how it might affect your projects? No. Okay. Um, if, if one of the project planners had reached out before this code interpretation, would you have been willing and able to discuss how it might affect your projects with them? Oh, most definitely. Do you think the code interpretation in any way defeats the purpose of the cottage housing regulations? I do I think it will result in fewer, uh, fewer, smaller and fewer, more affordable homes. Okay. Um, so let's talk about your application process for a minute. Uh, are you, are you proceeding with any of these applications right now? I think you mentioned you were. Correct. The Brown pro project does have an app, an active LSM application as does the Wu project. So is that one of each of the pairs? Correct. And, and what happened, tell us about your submittal process for those and how they were. Yeah, so they were both pairs. Were, uh, we got notice uh, in an email, the general blast uh, that the code interpretation was coming like the next day. I think we got noticed at like two o'clock <laughs> uh, to all the developers that this was gonna be effect, in effect the next day. Uh, so we rushed to sub finish up our civil engineering on them, the civil engineer worked through the evening uh, and got them in late on uh, on the, that day. Um, the day before the code interpretation went into effect. So we did submit both pairs, um, but they were rejected uh, for uh, minor and actually new technical reasons. This was not our first cottage applications at this point. By this point, we'd already submitted half a dozen cottage applications. So we had not, re not received rejection comments on the application intake like we did on these applications. So that was interesting. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we uh, went we'll back for a moment. Oh, please. Um, are you saying that these applications, aside from the code interpretation, that these applications were rejected for reasons that you had not experienced or seen before? 
they were rejected for reasons other cottage applications had not been rejected for before. Okay, thank you. Uh, um, yeah. So we, uh, anyways, we took, we went back and corrected the minor items on the rejection of the application and uh, resubmitted um, them. And then the city denied all four applications uh, and because citing the new code uh, interpretation. And so then we uh, resubmitted one of each pair, the Wu project and then the Brown application along with a letter from our attorney uh, explaining that these comply, they're not violating any uh, uh, the code interpretation um, because they're just uh, submitted singly and we got those submitted and they've so far been yeah, uh, received. Okay, so when you resubmitted one of each pair, what was the city's response? Uh, when we said one of each pair, they, they took them in. Um, the, I should add, I could add, when, we, when they rejected them the first time, uh, they told us in an email that they, uh, the rejection, they were citing that they, were all, they already told us that in the pre-application meeting that these adjacent cottage projects would not be allowed and would be, or would be required common space. This was inaccurate. Um, because there was no specificity in the pre-application meetings about how this alleged new code interpretation would take shape. Um, and so the email wording made it sound like there was more of that clear direction and it just wasn't so. Um, uh, Had you ever been further, further, I'll add, I guess, they only rejected uh, the, in the Babs and Brown uh, pre-submitted meetings, there was no mention of of, uh, of this alleged, you know, this future code interpretation in the, in the BABS uh, pre-submitting. There was none. In fact, in their emails, when they stated there was, they even mentioned the wrong planners. Um, uh, have you ever submitted separate permits for adjacent parcels before? Yeah, yeah, we, we build next to lots all the time. It's pretty common. Uh, it's not uncommon, you know, for the same reason as this. We build in a community, the neighbor eventually comes around to selling and we submit permits on that one and it's, it happens often. And ha had you ever been told by a jurisdiction that you were required to submit separate permits for separate parcels concurrently? No, no. Um, Having read the code interpretation and had some time to process it and look at your projects, do you believe it may have unintended consequences under code? I do. I, I, I think, again, we're going to be building fewer, smaller units to address this missing middle, the whole intent of the cottage code. Uh, okay. Um, what do you think the result will be for the, the building community? Well, this code path won't be elected as the viable code path for many parcels uh, in, in Kirkland as a result. So they'll just be left with either building single family or the short plat process, which is a disappointment. So you think uh, potential builders just won't buy the party, the property next door? If it's gonna be subject to uh, common space. For the 
I object to further line of questioning. I've allowed some speculation on this matter. Um, I can rephrase. Hearing examiner, but now he's just asking him to speculate not what only he would do, but what other builders might do in the future. That's fair, I can rephrase. So Josh, uh, for your purposes, you're saying that you just won't buy the property next door. Very likely, that's the, gonna be the outcome, most likely. Okay, thank you. I don't have any further questions at this time. I'm sorry, Ms. Cole, did you have any cross-examination questions? I do. Hello, Mr. Lyson. Hello. Um, so I want to, I just want to confirm a couple things. Um, these four properties, uh, Brown, Babazanov, Bradley, and Wu, Merritt Homes is um, going to own all four of those properties, correct? Correct. And Merritt Homes is going to develop all four of those properties, correct? Uh, pending this hearing appeal, uh, that's the intent is to develop it. We'll see what our options are on the ones that we have to now potentially re go a different direction on. You submitted applications to develop all four of them with the city. Is that correct? I have. We have. Two of them were rejected. And so um, with regard to Brown and with regard to Babazanov that are adjacent, uh, were you going to be developing differently or were you developing the same cottage type housing on those lots? Our plan was to develop both properties as cottage projects. Uh, the homes will differ. The particular architecture units will differ. Okay. And um, to do this, you actually admitted that you had a lot line adjustment between the Brown and the Babs property. Correct. And you gave some of the Brown property to the Babs property. We were in the process of, correct. Okay. And... Um, with regard to Bradley and Wu, they are adjacent. Is that correct? Correct. And you originally submitted applications to develop those properties at the same time. Is that correct? Correct. All right. And so you had a pre-application meeting on Bradley and Wu together at the same time, correct? Uh. It was submitted at the same time, but uh, the, the applications were different, as I recall. I actually would need to double check the dates on that, to be honest. Uh, Mr. Smith uh, was representing Merritt in those meetings. Uh, possibly he could answer for you. Okay, so those were submitted together on March 18, 2021, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah, yep. Yeah. And um, the pre-application meeting with the city for both of those applications was held at the same time on April 22nd, 2021. Is that correct? Or do I, I would have to, I'd have to defer to Mr. Smith uh, to answer that. Um, okay. I'm not so trying to be coy. I, I think, I think they were back to back that day. They weren't the same meeting. They were just scheduled back to back. 
So when you testified earlier as to comments that the city made in the pre-submittal meetings um, that these didn't have to be developed together, they did have to be developed together, you actually weren't there, were you? My representative, Mike, was there. Okay, so you don't have any personal knowledge of what was said at those pre-submittal meetings, do you? Oh, feedback from Mike in the written notes from the pre-submittal meeting. Okay, so Mr. Lyson, do you have any personal knowledge of what communications occurred see, at I the pre-submittal no. meetings? I, I was not there. Okay. Um, and did you happen to see the city's notes from that pre-submittal meeting? Uh, what was in the pre-submittal uh, comments back, okay. sent back after that. I don't have those in front of me. All right. So um, I want to go on and um, ask you about um, other projects. You said uh, no other applicants have been subject to this rule. Is, is that your testimony? Uh, uh, several other active developers that I spoke with in Kirkland, I'm happy to name their names, uh, had not been subject to this. Okay. When this testimony came out, I emailed it to everybody that I know of and asked them, is anybody else affected by this? And several of the active ones that I know are doing cottages, because I speak to them about that, responded, no, they were not. Okay. And were any of them having adjacent cottage projects being built at the same time where the total of the cottages, if together, would be five or over, but they were doing separate applications of less than five? Uh, when I asked the question, if I only asked the question, were they affected by this code interpretation and they comments back where they were not. So I can't speak to the details of what applications they have. Okay, so you, you don't know of any other developer in the city that has the same situation as you are presenting in Brown and Babs and Bradley and Wu, do you? That, that's correct, I do not. Okay. I don't think I have any further questions, Mr. Lyson, thank you. Um, any redirect? Uh, briefly, thank you, uh, Madam Hearing Examiner. Uh, so Josh, if the code interpretation is upheld, will you build cottages on Babs? If it's, I, I cannot, I will not be able to. Okay, you will, you'll build some other sort of product. We hope to, we, we hope to. <laughs> uh, and so same question, if the code, code interpretation is upheld, will you build cottages both on Wu and Bradley? I, I will not be able to. Okay. And then is, is a lot line adjustment a commonly used tool in, in your community? Yeah, it's used all the time to make more efficient use of property, uh, either for, for a number of reasons. And for developers and homeowners, we do it. We use it to, um, to make larger for a new home to be built or to get the second or additional lot in a short plat. Um, it's a commonly used uh, tool. And have you ever been accused of using a lot line adjustment nefariously? <laughs> no, uh, I, hard to answer that. I don't, I don't okay. not, in the, not in the past. It's never been thought of that way that I'm aware of. 
No further questions. Um, anything else, Ms. Kroll? Um, is it your testimony that the city has accused you of doing a lot line adjustment nefariously? No, it's not. Thank you. No further questions. Um, anything else, Mr. Williams? Uh, no, thank you. Okay. Uh, we don't have any further witnesses at this time. I do have some, some closing argument I'd like to make, but for closing. Okay, yeah, no, we can save that to, uh, to the end. So at this point, we'll turn to the city. Uh, Ms. Cole, I didn't know if you wanted to um, also make a brief uh, opening statement or move directly to witnesses. Um, we can move directly to witnesses. We just had a question as to whether Mr. Smith was going to testify. By you had not planned to call um, Mr. Smith. Okay. So the city will start by um, just having Mr. Weinstein present the case. And he has a um, PowerPoint presentation. I don't anticipate asking many questions, but the hearing examiner should feel free to ask questions. And Mr. Weinstein will be available for cross-examination after we conclude his presentation and any follow-up questions I may have. Okay. Um, so Mr. Weinstein, some of what you say may be considered evidence, so I should swear you in. If you could state your name for the record. I'm Adam Weinstein. And you swear or affirm to tell the truth under penalty or perjury under the laws of the state of Washington? I do. Thanks. Great, so let me start the PowerPoint presentation here. Can everybody see the slide? It says Appeal of Zoning Code Interpretation 214. Great. I can see. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Madam Hearing Examiner. Um, greetings to the, the applicant team as well. Um, I just want to mention that you know, we may disagree on this issue, um, but we do appreciate your interest in this type of compact housing that we're talking about tonight. Um, and we're glad to be able to discuss these issues. Um, you know, the app. The appellant here raises a number of issues in the appeal, um, fairness and uniformity in zoning, um, the, introduc the introduction of new regulatory issues, uh, nexus issues, the relationship between impacts of a project and regulations. To us, the issue is fairly narrow and it relates to several undefined terms in uh, Kirkland Zoning Code 113.25 and 113.35 cottage developments containing five or more units. That's really what the interpretation is all about. And these are important words to us because they relate to a bargain made with the community and reinforced in our comp plan when the city council adopted the uh, initial missing, mitting, mi missing middle housing ordinance in 2007, and then a much expanded version of that ordinance back in 2020. And the bargain really consisted of two parts. Um, part, part one, you get two times the underlying single family density to build cottages, twice, twice the single family density. And then two, in exchange, you, the developer have to provide real housing diversity in the community, not just um, smaller single family housing. And that means high quality common open space as an alternative to single family development, traditional single family development, 
which is really characterized by private open space. And to us, the chopping up of larger projects into smaller side-by-side -side projects to avoid common open space and possibly other code requirements, such as affordable housing requirements um, that are imposed on larger projects, which is what the subject interpretation addresses, is not in line with the letter of our code, and it's also not in line with the spirit of our code. And it's also not what our council promised the community in adopting the expanded missing middle housing code in 2020. And so we do believe that that, that 21.4 is um, consistent with, with the relevant provisions of our uh, zoning code and comp plan. Um, and now I just wanna jump into sort of the meat of the, the presentation. Um, we've got um, 22 slides um, total, and I'll try to go through them relatively fast, um, but I just wanna give a little bit of background on our missing middle housing ordinances. Um, just talk a little bit about the interpretation. Um, I thought the appellant covered the, the Brown and Babajanov and Bradley and Wu projects really well, so we won't spend a lot of time on that. Um, and then I do just wanna summarize our responses to the specific items raised in the, the letter of appeal, and then just conclude with our recommendation. So this is the type of housing that Kirkland has been really good at developing um, over the years. It's generally housing intended for use by a single family. It usually consists of housing on relatively big lots um, with private open space. And there's nothing obviously intrinsically wrong with this type of housing, but it's increasingly expensive and it commands such a premium in the market that in Kirkland, there hasn't been a lot of housing built to reflect the diversity of the community. We've been great at building apartments also, but we haven't built enough housing for smaller households. We haven't built enough housing for aging households and we haven't built enough housing for our middle income households. And so in 2007, with housing diversity in mind, the city council adopted limited code amendments that incentivized the development of alternatives to conventional single family housing, some of which is illustrated on the slide, duplexes, triplexes, carriage houses, and cottages. As I mentioned before, this code basically gives a developer the ability to build cottages or duplexes and triplexes at twice the underlying density of single family homes in some single family zoning districts. So in some single family zones under the 2007 code, if you acquired a lot that could accommodate two single family houses, you could build actually four cottage units. And again, that density allowance comes with a set of requirements. It requires in the, in the um, context of cottage projects, traditional architectural design with front porches, um, limited size, um, cottages of no more than 1,500 square feet under the 2007 code or 1,700 square feet now, and then common open space as the organizing principle for site design. The role of open space as a fundamental design feature is evident in these two pictures here on this slide of Danielson Grove, which is one of our iconic um, early cottage projects that really served as a standard for subsequent code implementation. And the role of that open space as an organizing design principle is also evident in the site plan right here. And you can see two clusters of cottages. There's one um, on the south side of the site here where my cursor is, um, a 10 unit cluster on the south here organized around open space. And then there's another six unit cluster on the north side organized around common open space. Um, fast forward to 2018, 
the city had, um, thanks to a, a, um, a very interested development community, a couple of successful cottage projects that were built under the 2007 code, but not a lot of new projects were coming online. And there was still a very significant need for more diverse housing stock in Kirkland. And so that year in 2018, the city adopted its housing strategy plan, which called for a lot of different uh, interventions in the housing market on the regulatory side. But a primary action that was called for was fostering more compact housing types like accessory dwelling units and cottages. And this slide shows an excerpt from the housing strategy plan. And I wanna just call attention to a couple of key themes which are highlighted in this excerpt. One is the flexibility to build um, these more compact housing types in the community. So changing our regulations to foster more production of these units. But the flexibility is balanced with the need to have design standards to improve neighborhood vitality. Um, also clear provisions to ensure that intended outcomes for smaller housing types like common open space are achieved. Again, this means um, not just fostering smaller single family housing, but employing new housing typologies to meet demographic and community needs, things like open space and traditional neighborhood design. So fast forward again to um, this time to 2020, when you know, using this 2018 housing strategy plan as a foundation, the city adopted sweeping code amendments to promote more compact housing types. And so in general, as you can see from this chart, which compares the 2007 code amendments to the 2020 code amendments, the 2020 code amendments were a lot more permissive than the 2007 code. They reduced parking requirements, they increased square footage allowances, but most notably, common open space requirements were preserved for larger cottage projects of five units or more, in part as a reflection of the need to ensure design that offered an alternative to conventional single family development, which again is characterized primarily by um, private open space. And so that um, open space requirement is shown on the last row on the slide. Um, common open space, I wanna note, is required in our code for cottages, but not duplexes and triplexes. And that's a very critical fact um, in relation to the subject interpretation that we're discussing today. So after the 2020 code amendments were adopted, the city received a lot of interest in missing middle housing development, especially for cottages. Um, in the year following the adoption of the 2020 code amendments, so from March of 2020 to February of 2021, the city conducted pre-submittal meetings for 125 cottage units, um, which is notable, I think, because you'll recall that in 2020, COVID was raging through the community um, and the world. Um, and, and all of its attendant sort of economic disruptions happened as well, but we still got 125 um, cottage units in the form of pre-submittal meetings. That previous year, um, so before the code amendments were adopted, we conducted pre-submittal meetings for a total of eight cottage units. So eight to 125. Many cottage plans that we received um, uh, as plans um, in pre-submittal form were substantially compliant with our code. However, we started receiving some side-by-side -side applications from the same developer um, for cottage projects where the combined unit count was more than five, but the individual applications contained fewer than five cottage units. 
And to us at the city responsible for implementing the comprehensive plan, that seemed to conflict with both the letter and the spirit of our cottage code and made us realize that the term cottage unit, cottage developments of five or more units was a term in our code that needed more definition and clarity. And so as a result on August 16, 2021, I issued an interpretation clarifying what a cottage development is um, based on the common meaning of the words, the general purpose of the provision in chapter 113 of our zoning code, and then also the comprehensive plan as allowed pursuant to um, 170.40 of the zoning code, which is summarized in the staff report, I won't go into it. Um, so the interpretation is shown on the slide, it's familiar to you, but it basically says that a cottage development consisting of adjacent applications submitted by the same developer or related developers um, or project sharing um, utilities or vehicle access are cottage developments um, containing five or more units. So I wanna point out a couple of uh, key things about the interpretation that relate to my ability as the uh, planning director to issue the interpretation. Um, first is the interpretation defines a term, cottage developments containing five or more units that is not already defined in uh, the zoning code. Second, the interpretation is consistent with the definition of subject property in the Kirkland zoning code, which is the entire lots, the entire lot series of lots or parcels on which a development or use is or will be located. I added some emphasis here to show that it's not one lot, it's not only two lots or three lots, it's um, the entire lot or series of parcels um, or lots. Um, subject property is not limited to one lot or parcel. And then third, the interpretation is based on the common meaning of the words as development is something is generally defined as something happening in the same place and sharing one or more functional characteristics. The number of parcels in an application shouldn't be a primary determinant of how many applications need to be submitted for a development. So the next couple of slides here, um, just go over the, the Brown, Babajanov, and Bradley and Wu applications. Again, we discussed these in a lot of detail, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on these, but I wanted to show you where they are on a map. You can see their relationship. Um, so yeah, the first, the first pair, Brown and Babajanov, um, are here, shown on an aerial photo. Um, they're adjacent to each other. They are being proposed by the same developer, which is Merritt Holmes, and the two applications were submitted formally on exactly the same date, August 16, 2021. Um, and we talked about the, the lot line adjustments um, um, and how those affect the, the, the two properties. Um, the Brown project consists of nine units, includes common open space, and the, the Babajanov project consisting of three units does not. And then the second pair of projects, um, second pair of applications are the Bradley and Wu applications. They're also adjacent to each other. They're also um, being proposed by the same developer, Merritt Holmes. They were submitted on exactly the same date, August 16, 2021. They also involve lot line adjustments. Um, and I would also mention that, you know, in our in the city's um, pre-submittal notes for the August 17th meeting on these projects, um, the notes show that we mentioned the fact that they would be regulated together. Um, as one project as well. So I just want to mention that too. Uh, the Bradley um, application, as we discussed, contains three units. The Wu application contains four units. 
and neither contains any common open space or orientation of cottages around a common open space. Um, and so from a design perspective, from a planning perspective, all seven units resemble just slightly smaller conventional single family houses, which with driveway access to the individual houses. This is the last part of the presentation. Um, I just wanna summarize our point by point response to the claims raised in the appellant's letter of appeal. So the first claim is that the interpretation introduces entirely new regulatory provisions into the code that should have been adopted by city council. We disagree with this claim. Um, first, the interpretation defines an undefined term in the Kirkland Zoning Code, cottage development containing five or more units. Um, second, it defines the undefined term based on other code provisions, such as the, sub, the definition of subject property. And the intent of this code provision in the comp plan which is, which is to create housing diversity and more compact housing that differs from traditional single family housing. So we're not introducing any new regulatory provisions here. Um, the, second, the second claim in the appeal letter, um, which sort of falls under the first topic um, is that the interpretation broadens the definition of cottage developments to capture only, um, I quote, remotely related projects and misuses the term related parties to capture projects that only vaguely share functional characteristics. We disagree. Um, we note that we've already discussed the common meaning of the words. Um, second, though, we note that a pair of side-by-side -side projects or projects sharing utilities or access are not remotely related. They are explicitly related. They are adjacent and they share physical characteristics that typically bind development together. Um, lastly, I would say that adjacency and um, shared driveways or utilities are not vague functional characteristics as the appellant claims, they are real on the ground physical characteristics that unify applications. Um, here the appellant states that the use of the concept related parties is without justification. Um, first, I would note that the Applications referenced by the appellant in their letter are not submitted by related parties. They are submitted by the same parties, uh, Merit Homes. Um, nevertheless, we would argue that the concept related parties is relevant here as it's used to preclude the same developer operating under two different names from dividing up um, a larger project into two smaller projects to avoid a code required common open space that is really essential to the implementation of uh, the comprehensive plan. And again, this is not a concept that we made up. Um, it's a well-established legal principle and it's found in um, section 267 of the Internal Revenue Code. So this next claim is, is interesting. I'll try to paraphrase it, um, but it's basically, it basically says that allowing numerous and smaller cottage applications to be built without common open space would lead to a more cohesive neighborhood. Um, and, and frankly, uh, we find this claim a, a bit intuitive, counterintuitive for a couple of reasons. Um, first, uh, if Kirkland Zoning Code Chapter 113 calls for common open space to be a primary um, uh, organizational feature for cottage design, it's difficult to imagine how lots of smaller projects built without common open space would be more cohesive or result in superior design. Um, second, 
There are many, many development projects in Kirkland that consist of assemblages of multiple parcels and the design that is ultimately achieved by those projects are cohesive, they have common open space and they exhibit high quality urban design. Um, and then lastly, the appellants, the appellants claim is contradicted by numerous comp plan policies that support holistic design and incorporating common open space into larger projects, including all of the comprehensive plan policies listed on the slide. I'm not gonna read through them, but they talk about um, incorporating design principles into new development standards, fostering attractive site design, allowing a broad range of housing types in the community, creating places where people can gather and interact, um, distributing parks throughout the city, and particularly distributing parks and open space in areas where population growth is the greatest. Um, so making the argument that chopping you know, larger projects up into smaller projects, um, that that will do a better job promoting the objectives and the comp plan is kind of like saying that, you know, we'll fix climate change by driving more. Um, it's just not, not credible. Um, so here are the appellant claims that the interpretation's definition of cottage developments contains such a broad range of scenarios that the code is impermissibly expanded. Um, and again, we, we disagree with that. Um, the range of projects this interpretation encompasses is fairly small and mostly comprises, you know, 99% of the time is going to comprise project sharing a property line that are proposed by the same or a related developer. Um, other, other examples are clearly laid out in the interpretation and they comprise fairly narrow circumstances, such as when you know, two projects are adjacent, but they share utilities or access, or when there are two cottage projects separated by only a narrow band of a different housing type, but everything is proposed by the same or related developers. Um, here in this claim, the uh, appellant makes an argument about the nexus between the project and the regulations that the regulations as interpreted make the developer pay for these societal costs um, and that they require the provision of common open space. But I would say that, you know, this argument is coming about 15 years too late. It was, it was already debated when the Kirkland Zoning Code 113, 113 regulations were developed back in 2007, and then they were expanded upon in 2007 when it was decided that common open space was needed to mitigate the increased demand of individual cottage projects on open space and parks. Um, and the logic in the code, which is very reasonable, is that cottage projects, unlike um, single family development, typically provide very limited private open space, thus warranting the provision of common open space. And I wanna point out something really important about the common open space, which is that for cottage projects, which is that it doesn't have to be publicly accessible. Um, it needs to be accessible to the, to the residents of the cottage project. So it's not making a developer pay for a general cost. It's addressing the effects of the specific cottage development um, and imposing this requirement on larger projects that happen to be chopped up into smaller pieces. It doesn't change the logic that there's a reasonable relationship between a larger cottage development and a common open space requirement. Um, in this, this claim, um, the appellant says the interpretation doesn't impose rules uniformly. Um, again, we disagree. The interpretation lays out clear criteria for when two or more cottage applications are to be considered one unified cottage development and would treat projects that share physical characteristics 
like utilities or access um, or adjacent applications undertaken by the same developer the same way. And here's where fairness comes into play. Um, picture a hypothetical scenario where developer one proposes an eight unit cottage project on one big lot. Um, this developer spends time and resources planning the eight unit cottage project to comply with our comprehensive plan and regulations. The units are organized around um, a big central common open space. The developer makes sure that half the units front the open space. Developer number two acquires a similarly sized parcel elsewhere in the city, um, but doesn't want to provide common open space. And so subdivides the larger property into two lots and proposes one four unit cottage project on one lot and then another four unit cottage project on the other lot. No common open space is provided. Um, developer two saves time and money by not providing um, open space on either lot. How is this fair to developer number one, not to mention compliant with the comprehensive plan or our zoning code? Um, this is the last claim here. Um, here, the appellant claims that the interpretation would have an adverse effect on their four applications. And again, as you know, as a planning department, um, this is a, a hard, a hard claim to dispute, and we don't want to meddle in the, you know, the economic affairs of um, the appellant. Um, I guess what we would do is we would dispute the point that the provision of common open space would need to result in a density reduction, as there are lots of other design choices the applicant is making, such as the provision of parking beyond code requirements that could be adjusted to preserve the proposed density on a unified project. Um, it's important also to keep in mind a point that I raised earlier, which is that the provision of common open space is a trade-off for being allowed to build two cottage units where otherwise you're allowed only one single family unit. And in a market where these cottage projects are being sold for well over a million dollars, um, getting two units instead of one, even with the provision of common open space is appealing to many developers. And as a result, we're seeing many five uh, plus unit cottage projects move to the building permit stage, um, suggesting that these projects are feasible in the current market. Furthermore, there are some great examples of five um, plus unit cottage projects already built in Kirkland. And we provided um, a couple of examples of those in the staff report where cottage units oriented to open space command a premium in the market and units rarely come up for sale. Um, and thus we would dispute the claim that the interpretation uh, would make larger cottage projects infeasible. This is our very last slide. Um, and just wanna make some sort of closing remarks. Um, so we do recommend denial of the appeal. We believe that uh, the interpretation is code compliant. We think that it's common sense that two adjacent applications by exactly the same developer should be subject to code requirements based on the cumulative number of units between the two applications. Um, second, this interpretation was made on my own initiative as the planning director because the term cottage development needed to be clarified and that the definition was based on criteria listed in um, Kirkland Zoning Code 170.40. Um, third, the interpretation is consistent with the definition of subject property um, in the Kirkland Zoning Code, which doesn't differentially categorize a subject property consisting of one lot and a subject property consisting of two lots. It doesn't differentiate between when projects were acquired um, by a developer 
They're both subject properties. And then lastly, uh, the interpretation is consistent with the comprehensive plans uh, policy directives um, that innovative housing be designed to be different than single family product that the market so copiously produces you know, all over the region, including in Kirkland. Um, and in summary, we don't believe that the applicant has met the burden of proof test that's required by um, zoning code section 145.95 and has not shown that the interpretation was correct. Um, and that is the, the end of the, um, of the presentation. Thank you for your patience and um, I'll stop sharing the screen. Thank you. Um, just a, a procedural point is, were there any objections to admission of the PowerPoint? No. Okay, the PowerPoint is admitted into the record. And Ms. Cole, I, you mentioned you may have some questions for Mr. Weinstein or is it just the presentation, his presentation? I may have a couple questions here. Okay, but not at this point or? I, I do. Oh, I'm right sorry. now, okay. <laughs> and, unless we wanna take a break or anything. Nope, no, I'm good unless any of the parties need a break. Okay. It's probably right. good. Um, Mr. Weinstein, I've, I've failed before your presentation to ask you to tell us who you are and what your title is and your responsibilities at the city. Yeah, thanks. I'm Adam Weinstein. I'm the director of planning and building and I'm responsible for all the operations of the department. So it includes everything from code enforcement to urban forestry um, to current planning and also neighborhood long range comprehensive planning. So I get to touch everything. Okay, and um, I just wanted to um, confirm again that before the 2020 amendments to the code for cottage housing um, and before COVID, there were how many applications that came in for cottage housing? Yeah, there were a total of eight cottages that came in in application in the year, in pre-submittal application in the year preceding the 2020 code amendments. I'm not sure how many applications that is, but it only comprised eight units of cottage housing. Okay, so eight units. And then after the 2020 amendments, which um, did, did they make, the, did 2020 amendments in general um, make cottage housing more favorable for developers? Yeah, absolutely. They did make um, cottage development more favorable. They increased the square footage allowances. So instead of having to build only a 1500 square foot cottage, which is relatively small for some people. You could build a 1,700 square foot cottage. Um, it slashed the number of parking spaces that were required um, um, under the code for cottages um, from um, a couple to one if you're within close proximity to transit. Um, it reduced the locational requirements, the locational restrictions. You used to not be able to build a cottage project within a certain number of feet of another project. Um, so that was gotten rid of as well. Um, and yeah, lots of, lots of, lots of things happened that made it a lot easier to, um, to build cottages under the new code. And did it in fact reduce the, um, requirement of square footage per unit of common open space? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It reduced the, it reduced the required amount of, um, open space required per unit per cottage unit from, uh, 400 to 300 square feet. Okay. And, um, then, uh, do you have notes? from the Bradley Wu uh, pre-application hearing? Yeah, we do have notes um, that, that we keep um, based on every pre-submittal application and pre-submittal meeting that happens. Can you share them on the screen? Um, yes. Uh, I need to go into my email, so just give me a second. 
We can do it later. Yeah, can we do it later? Is, we'll, I, um, we'll do it after a break. We'll yeah. get it keyed up after a break. I wasn't um, aware we were taking a break. Yeah, we, we may not have a break. Um, oh, at all. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't think this hearing is going to take too uh, too long, so I don't know that we'll need a break. Just a moment, then. Yeah, no, take your time I, with this technology. Sometimes. Right, sorry, there's yeah a lot of windows open on our side, so um, let me just minimize some windows and then go into my email. Um, Hey, Sarah. So we're um we're in a conference room and um sort of logging into this computer for the same time. And I think that um oh wait, sorry, no, this is good. Uh, all right, let's see. Are those email done? Yeah. Okay, it's not there. Oh, it's um, it's um, Shaylin's email. Um, All right, we don't have them right now. Yeah. It's a shame. Sorry, we don't have them to show right now. Actually, I um, it's, I'm having trouble getting into my email. Um, my email inbox. Okay, and um, what do the email notes say? Yeah, basically the email notes said that um, during the pre-submittal meeting on August 17th for Bradley and Wu that the planners discussed this concept um, that the Bradley and Wu projects would have to be treated as um, one project and meet the, the common open space requirements. Um, again, that's something that we have in writing um, in our notes. Okay, and the, that, um, again, that pre-application meeting occurred on April 22nd, 2021, is that correct? All right, and um, do you know at that time the status of Merritt Homes' purchase of either of those properties? Um, no. Okay, and do you generally ask applicants when they come in the status of whether or not um, their purchase has closed on the property? Yeah, that's not something that's really relevant to, to us in our sort of regulatory role. Um, we ultimately, you know, um, assume that a developer is going to acquire the properties, but oftentimes the real estate process takes a really long time and pre-submittal meetings and site planning often happen before um, uh, developers formally, often happen uh, before developers actually acquire and own a property. Okay. And um, all right, I think that's, those are all the questions I had. Okay. Uh, is there any cross-examination, Mr. Williams? Yes, I have a few questions. Okay. Uh, so, Adam, you raised the hypothetical that a developer would short plan a larger lot to avoid common open space requirements. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't the short plan process quite expensive and time-consuming? It can. It can be time-consuming. It doesn't have to be time-consuming. I think if uh, you know a developer. Um, you know, has, has their ducks in a row and um, has a good submittal that um, it doesn't have to be, it, it can, it can, it's a process that can take, you know, something like six months altogether, typically. Again, really complicated proposals can take longer. Um, submittals that are, that are um, um, 
you know, approvable when they're submitted can be approved in slightly less time. Okay. Is, is the situation you're discussing, I, is that the same as either of the situations that Merritt has presented here today? No, no, they're not. It was a hypothetical situation just to illustrate um, the, the sort of the fairness issue of somebody um, breaking up parcels into two pieces to escape the open space requirement. Okay, w would you agree that this interpretation or code even could be modified to cover that rather narrow situation, such as a condition on a short plat that you could not then develop with your new two lots, what you could not develop before? Yeah, it could be, of course. Yeah, the interpretation, of course, could be modified. Um, but again, I think you know our our goal was to capture adjacent projects um, happening happening um, together that share some functional characteristics. So you did want it to be broader than just that situation. Correct. 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 Okay. Um, in your experience, who typically defines what the subject property will be for a given application? The subject property is defined in the code. I mean, we went, you know, we, we reviewed the, we reviewed the, um, the, uh, the zoning code provision that, that details exactly what subject property is. That is something that we look to the code for. Is, is the subject property typically defined by what the proposal covers uh, within the four corners of what is proposed to be developed upon? Um, it's some, sometimes is, sometimes isn't. Um, again, when we, you know, when we look at, um, sometimes projects are phased over time. So there are, um, you know, there's a subject property subject to different applications. Um, sometimes, yeah, there's a series of projects happening, all of which occur on a subject application, on a subject property. Um, so yeah, it, it depends. Okay. Um, I'd like to look at the specific language in the interpretation for a minute. Uh, bullet one under interpretation says that this applies while there is an active application or issued permit by the same or related party. Do you recall that? Yeah, yeah. So if Merritt Homes built out the Brown property completely, Finaled everything, built the cottages, was selling lots, and then acquired an interest in and applied for applications on the Babs property. Mm -hmm. Would this interpretation still apply? I mean, absolutely not. We would not. The, the interpretation is not intended to um, allow us to go in and 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 modify an already approved permitted project. Right? That's not something that. Um, we want to we want want it to cover in the interpretation. That's why we use the term active application. So act, act applications that are still open, not applications that have been um, issued. Well, it does say issued permit, does it not? Yeah, yeah. So again, if there's a, we would not modify. We would definitely not modify already built projects, right? So if the application is issued and the the project is built out, we would certainly not go into that already built out. Uh, uh, development and and seek to modify the open space configuration or provide more open space. However, if there's a series of cottage developments that are built side by side, one after the other over the years, we would want to have a conversation with that applicant about um, you know whether that whether that series of developments happening is actually a unified application. Um, again, it's 
that the community expectation is that if we had a developer came in with one cottage application and build it, and then came in the next year with another cottage application and build it right next door, and then another application and build it right next door, the community expectation is that um, those projects, those cottage develop uh, units together would, would warrant common open space. And so we wanna have a conversation with developers of those, if it's the same developer of those subsequent projects about providing um, what the code requirements are. So where exactly would you draw that line? Objection calls for speculation. Would you know it when you saw it? Objection. I think it's a fair question. Uh, it does see, I mean, because we're, we're not, um, it does ask the, the witness to, I mean, they can't know one way or the other until you, and this is not a project specific appeal. So um, there definitely is some, I, I think that's a tough one to answer. Um, concretely. Um, I don't know if there's another way to word that question. Well, I, I will cover this in my argument closing. Okay. Um, I think I might have one more brief line of questioning. You discussed the bargain that was struck between the community and city council, is that correct? That's right. Have you presented any evidence about that bargain and what the community was asking for and what the city council uh, changed its position on? Yeah, I would say it's, it's, um, it's reflected in all the comprehensive plan language that we provided and the housing strategy plan excerpt that we included um, in this presentation, along with the discussion in the staff report, I think all that provides evidence that these aren't easy issues for the community, right? When you're telling the community that, hey, somebody's going to come into your you know, sacred single family neighborhood, and instead of building two houses, they're gonna build four houses, or instead of building eight houses, they're gonna build 16 houses, that's actually pretty scary to a lot of folks in our community. And so, yes, there does have to be a, a political bargain made um, by the city council to say, hey, yes, you're getting more density in your, in your single family neighborhood that you cherish so much, but it's going to come with things that are going to mitigate the impact of the increased density, such as common open space. So you're saying that that bargain is in the comprehensive plan language you cited? Yeah, I believe, I believe it's embodied in the comprehensive plan language. Okay, thank you. No and, further the code, and the code as well, yeah. Um, Mr. Williams, uh, that, that was your last question. For Mr. Yes. Yes, okay, thank you. Um, Ms. Kroll, um, is any further redirect from you? I do, I just, very brief. Um, Mr. Weinstein, are, are you familiar with projects that are built as phased developments? Yes. Okay, and can you explain to the hearing examiner what a phased development is? Yeah, basically. Yeah. I, I'm having trouble hearing Ms. Kroll's questions. Oh. <clears throat> From the very first question, Mr. Williams? Yes, please, thank you. Um, are you familiar with phased developments? Yes. And can you explain to the hearing examiner what a phased development is in yeah. general? Yeah, in general, yeah. Phased development is essentially a larger development project that happens in phases um, with you know sometimes different applications for individual phases. So we often see 
you know, phase development happening um, for big projects like our Kirkland Urban Project downtown, which is takes place over many years um, and yet yeah, includes multiple phases. And do you have subdivisions and residential areas that are also built in phase development? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Okay. And do, when somebody submits a phase development to you, um, is it a coordinated project? Yes, it is a coordinated project. And do the phases um, take account of what has been developed in previous phases and um, what will be developed in future phases? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's intrinsic to the that's intrinsic to the, the subdivision concept, right? You can't have, you know, a first phase of a subdivision where the streets simply dead end, don't connect to the rest of the subdivision or open space in one part of the subdivision that isn't accessible to um, folks who live in the other part of the subdivision. Yes, the concept is that, yeah, the design of something like that be done in phases, but be done holistically so that the different parts work together. And, and do developers commonly use the phase development tool? Yeah, it's frequently used. Yeah, it's frequently used in the city. All right. And um, if someone comes in with a cottage application like Brown and um, develops that and receives their certificate of occupancy, would that development be completed? Yes, it would be completed. And then if they come in with uh, Babajanov adjacent to it and build the same cottages, um, same square footage, same, same um, you know, cottage development. It might be different architecturally, but they're, they're adding on to the four that were already built. Um, would that be something similar to a phase development in your mind? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, because again, it's the same developer undertaking projects, you know, precisely next to each other. Okay. And, um, but currently code does not address that as a single unified development, correct? Correct, yeah, correct. Thank you. No further questions. Mr. Williams, anything further? No request. Okay, all right. Uh, I uh, do not uh, have any questions for you, Mr. Weinstein. Um, so at this, actually, I have a, just one clarification question from council. Um, so this is a code interpretation and appeal, and I, we've heard about various projects and so forth, um, uh, you know, just to provide some context for this. But um, my decision would only address the uh, interpretation and, and would not, is not a ruling on any of the Pacific projects. Is that council's understanding as well? Yes. There uh, currently, I believe, are two projects that are just simply going forward. So, yes, you don't have to decide. But those are, those are separate, separate. Right, separate processes, um, not before me. And okay, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to, to clarify that. So, at this point, um, do the parties wish to present uh, closing arguments? We do. Okay. So I think the order on that probably would be Mr. Williams followed by Ms. Kroll. Is the other parties uh, fine with that? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mr. Williams, you may proceed whenever you're ready. Thank you. Let me find the right window. So I would like to to aid my summary, I'll rely on a short hypothetical. 
property owner A and property owner B have adjoining parcels. Owner A wants to sell now, but owner B thinks they can hold out another year for a better price. Merritt Homes acquires property A, closing the transaction and acquiring fee simple interest. For the sake of this hypothetical, Merritt can and does proceed to develop four cottages on property A. After over a year of design, engineering, groundwork, and other investments, Merritt is close to getting final construction approval and pulling, pulling building permits for property A. During this time, property owner B has witnessed Merritt's team on site doing preliminary work and has developed a working relationship and trust for Merritt's integrity. Property owner B is ready to sell, approaches Merritt, and the parties enter a purchase, into a purchase and sale agreement with closing not set to occur until after certain entitlements are obtained. Based on property B's size and configuration, Merritt intends to construct three cottages. Merritt applies for the necessary permits. Under Kirkland Code Interpretation 21-4, which by its terms applies while there is an active application or issued permit, Merritt must now redesign its proposal for property A to meet open space requirements under chapter 113 for cottage developments containing five or more units. Pursuant to the interpretation, this is true even though the only commonality between the proposed developments is the applicant, Merritt Holmes. In this hypothetical, there are no shared utilities or shared driveways being proposed. For all the director's claims that this code interpretation is designed to prevent a party from intentionally avoiding heightened requirements for larger projects, the narrative that Merritt Holmes rejects Director cannot escape the fact that this code interpretation has broad and far-reaching consequences for anyone who owns property adjacent to a pending or issued cottage development. Essentially, it is now in their best interest to sell to someone else, abandoning any goodwill that Merritt Homes has built. This is a significant disincentive for choosing uh, what a particular property owner sees as the best, most experienced developer for the job whether that is merit or homes or not, the property owner should be able to choose who they want to represent them. This code interpretation restricts those opportunities. I'll explain why this code interpretation viola violates Kirkland code, then state law. And finally, I'll briefly touch on the Washington state constitution as I understand the hearing examiner does not have jurisdiction to rule on those grounds. Yeah, just, just to clear that, that's fine to present argument, just but understand as more as context, because yeah, I, I wouldn't have jurisdiction over constitutional or, or statutory even, it's just whatever the code provides me, but it's, it's uh, you can present that as con context, because I wouldn't want to issue a decision without a, understanding any background principles. Okay, um, thank you very much. So under Kirkland Code 17040, the director must base their interpretation on each of the following criteria. The defined or common meaning of the words of the provision, the general purpose of the provision as expressed in the provision, and the logical or likely meaning of the provision viewed in relation to the comprehensive plan. First and foremost, this code interpretation purports to interpret a phrase from sections 113.25 and 113.35, cottage developments containing five or more units. We submit that none of the words in this provision require further definition because they are already defined in code or have common meanings requiring no interpretation. Under these sections of code, cottage is already linked to a definition. Five is a number and requires no definition. The director went far beyond defining the common meaning of this provision 
and cannot make the conclusions in the interpretation without adding words and further defining those words. For instance, the interpretation requires modifying the definition of subject property under Kirkland Zoning Code to include properties with a shared property line that are submitted while there is an active application or issued permit by the same or related party. In order to make this leap, the interpretation further requires defining related party. Thus, the director is going far beyond the defined or common meaning of the words in this provision, since the director could not even make the interpretation work without adding and further defining additional terms. The director has also usurped the fundamental right of a property owner or applicant to decide for themselves what the subject property will be for any given application. Nowhere is this expressed in code. Nowhere is subject property included in the open space regulations. The director is essentially requiring a lot merger for purposes of application processing, entirely defeating the inherent value in having separate legal lots that can be developed in accordance with applicable regulations. This will force an applicant to construct some other type of product if cottages do not work on the adjacent parcel with the additional open space requirements. Further explanation of this particular issue can be found in our letter of appeal. Second, the director opines as to the city council's intent in bargaining with the community in response to the appeal, presumably to buttress his position about the general purpose of the provisions as expressed in the provision. However, the director has not offered statements or other proof of city council's intent in drafting or adopting this provision, despite having access presumably to minutes, drafts, or other materials that certainly surrounded its adoption. Nothing about the provision speaks of multiple contiguous parcels. Nothing about the provision purports to usurp a property owner's right to decide whether and when to apply for entitlements on a given property. Nothing about this provision gives the city the right to define what parcels will constitute a given cottage development. Imagine please if an applicant came to the permitting department with a proposal to short plat four parcels consisting or constituting 10 acres. And the department responded, well, you own the adjacent four parcels and 10 acres too. So we're gonna treat this as a long subdivision and you must apply for all or none of them. This would be absurd. And I'm certain that litigation would ensue. This is essentially what is occurring here. And in fact, as Mr. Lyson testified, once when the city, once when Merritt Holmes tried to apply for one out of each of the two pairs, the city did, it did indeed reject Merritt Holmes's submittal for property A, telling them they were required to also submit applications for property B. The parties have since found a way to proceed with one of the applications, but this, this really gets at the core of, of what is wrong with the way the interpretation affects code and property rights and how we normally think of what you can do with a particular parcel of property. Finally, the director's interpretation goes against the fundamental purpose of the cottage code as explained in section 13.10. This section explains that the cottage code is intended to address the need for smaller, more compact, and often more affordable housing choices in neighborhoods characterized by single family homes. As explained today by Merritt Holmes, the director's interpretation will actually result in fewer homes being developed since the additional open space requirements applied across multiple parcels could actually reduce the number of available cottages to be built. The overhead to construct these homes thus cannot be spread over as many units, 
and they will be more expensive as a result. Merritt Holmes has outlined several aspects of the comprehensive plan that this conflicts with in its letter of appeal. The director has opined that this interpretation does not conflict with certain and additional uh, aspects of the comprehensive plan, but, th but that is not dispositive. The comprehensive plan must be viewed as a whole and the provisions cited by Merritt Holmes tending to encourage a broad range of housing and site planning approaches in single family areas to increase housing supply and choice, to reduce cost, and to ensure design quality and neighborhood compatibility, which is policy H2.4, clearly and logically do not support interpretation that actually results in fewer, less affordable homes. We also submit that the comprehensive plan policy submitted by the city in response to the appeal in no way logically dictate an answer that separate properties must be treated as one for common open space requirements, or that they are intended to usurp a property owner's right to decide when and whether they choose to develop their property. Contrary to the director's response to the appeal, none of these policies lead to a logical or likely intent to mash otherwise unrelated projects together to achieve several hundred square feet more open space at the expense of more housing supply and choice. I will now turn to an assessment of RCW 8202020. Um, and, and given the, the hearing examiner's comments at the beginning of my argument, I, I would like to submit that the hearing examiner has authority to consider state law in deciding the, you know, the appropriateness of interpretations of code and you know applications to specific projects. Of course, this is not that, but. Yeah, and perhaps I should clarify, I'm certainly I can consider state law, um, the, but in terms of actual consistency, I mean, in terms of the issues that are raised in the appeal, um, I, I don't believe an 8202020 issue was raised or, um, before me. So it's just the issues that are outlined in the appeal that I actually decide. Um, not that I don't decide, uh, you know, consider state law and consistency with state law and so forth. Well, I, I believe we did raise this statute in our uh, a letter of appeal. So I'm okay. I request further clarification. Okay. Um, if I argue it now, will you consider it later? That's yeah, all. no, absolutely. I'm not precluding you from argument. Go ahead and I will, I'll go back and look at your the, the appeal. Thank you very um, much. So yeah, go ahead and proceed. So this statute generally provides with some exceptions that the state preempts the field of imposing certain taxes. The statute then states in relevant part, except as provided in RCW 8202-050 through 090, no city shall impose any tax fee or charge either direct or indirect on the development, subdivision classification, or reclassification of land. According to Isla Verde International Holdings Inc. versus City of Camas, the substantive due process portions of which were abrogated by Yim versus Seattle, but are not relevant here. There are three exceptions to this pro prohibition in addition to the statutes I just named. The important exception here is that the statute does not preclude dedications of land or easements within the proposed development or plat which the city can demonstrate are reasonably necessary as a direct result of the proposed development to which the dedication of land or easement is to apply. This statute requires strict compliance with its terms. A tax fee or charge, either direct or indirect, 
imposed on development is invalid unless it falls within one of the exceptions specified in the statute. In Isla Verde, the city of Camas, Camas sought to impose a 30% open space set-aside requirement on a proposed development. The director's code interpretation here similarly seeks to impose an open space requirement. The Isla Verde court determined that such an open space requirement did indeed qualify as an indirect tax fee or charge, being a dedication of land or easement within the proposed development, necessitating that the city comply with the terms of the exception. Under the statute, however, the director has the burden of showing that one of the statute's exceptions applies. Turning back to my original hypothetical here, the director must demonstrate that the additional open space requirements imposed as a result of the proposed development on property B are reasonably necessary as a direct result of those three cottages proposing proposed to be developed. The director cannot do so because it is impossible to demonstrate that what was not reasonably necessary as a direct result of four units on an adjacent parcel is suddenly necessary because of three units on another. In Isla Verde, the trial court ruled that the city failed to meet its burden because there was no individualized determination that the open space set-aside requirement was necessary to mitigate an impact of that development. The condition was disproportionate to the impact caused by the development, and the city had not demonstrated any need for additional open space arising from the development. Each of these determinations is also factually correct here. First, there has been no individualized determination that adding three cottages on an adjacent parcel necessitates larger open space requirements for both. Second, Merritt Holmes contends that the additional requirement is disproportionate to the addition of three cottages. Third, the director has not demonstrated any need for the additional open space arising from the three additional cottages. Merritt Holmes is willing to comply with the plain reading of code which allows the applicant and the property owner, not the director, to determine what properties will constitute a specific development proposal. The director's interpretation extends the zoning code into unlawful territory, usurps the city council's authority to legislate when and on what terms open space must be provided for a given proposal. And I believe we even heard the director admit that if he wanted to, or if city council wanted to, it could be more narrowly tailored to affect a situation where a property owner is truly intentionally bifurcating property and then going in with separate applications. And, and we would submit that this evaluation under that scenario would be completely different. Uh, we asked the hearing examiner to exercise her jurisdiction under code and reverse uh, this interpretation. Uh, I want to refer to our letter of appeal for the argument regarding uh, the consistency of zoning regulations, but uh, under the Washington State Constitution. But I, I also wanna raise that what we heard from the director today about how you would interpret that, 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 that line, um, applications that are being processed or issued really sounds to me like unconstitutionally vague territory because an ordinance or regulation is void for vagueness and violates constitutional due process if it is framed in terms so vague 
that persons of common intelligence must guess at the ordinance or regulations meaning and differ as to its application. That is Olympic Stewardship Foundation versus State Environmental and Land Use Hearings Office through the Western Washington Growth Management Hearings Board. And basically what we heard is that there's no, well, to begin with, the director, I believe, contradicted the interpretation when he said that, well, if the permit's been issued, then no, we would not make that person redesign the project. But the interpretation clearly says processing or issued permits. So the way I read this interpretation, whether you're doing dirt work or not, and, and whether that dirt work and installation of utilities is dependent upon the configuration that you plan for on that parcel, you might have to rip it up and change it if you start doing something on the next parcel over before you get all final, all final construction approvals. And, you know, the director did not articulate a, a defined line between those two when he will, when, when he would and when he would not ask a party to consider redesigning their proposal. And that right there is persons of common intelligence must guess at that meeting. And so it's a constitutional argument. I'll end it there. Um, we believe that we have demonstrated that there are significant issues with this code interpretation, uh, both, uh, or actually under all three, um, Kirkland code, it exceeds the director's authority specifically there because you just can't get there without adding so much substance and detail and specifics to what is a pretty small phrase with already defined terms. Uh, under 8202020, this interpretation clearly adds a significant burden on a second individual application without any individualized determination that additional open space is required across the board for these parcels because, you know, the neighbor happens to like Merritt Homes and the neighbor happens to sell also to Merritt Homes and Merritt Homes is a year and a half down the road define, uh, you know, designing parcel A, but now they've acquired parcel B and they've got to start all over. There's just, there's no individualized determination here that that becomes necessary just because the applicant is the same. And, and finally, we submit that it also has some constitutional questions associated with it. Uh, Merritt Homes is as Mr. Lyson testified, one of the one of the largest, most common uh, builders in in Kirkland, and they've developed a reputation as uh, good at what they do, and that is why um, neighboring project owners say, "You know what? I want to choose that guy uh, to build my property too." He seems like a reasonable person. He or she seems like a reasonable person to work with, and. This would punish landowners for, for wanting to make that decision. We ask you to reverse the decision. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Williams. A question for you. So this is a, basically a facial challenge because it's of the ordinance itself and it could, or the, um, the interpretation itself. So it could be applied in uh, a variety of ways and you've made the argument and that in certain applications, uh, you believe that it would be inconsistent with 8202020 and um, yeah, as well as the, the Constitution. But wouldn't, um, 
I mean, wouldn't really those determinations be kind of case specific uh, determinations since there are scenarios um, that you all you you all believe some would would be fine uh, and consistent with uh, not present uh, those types of legal issues, but other um, but in your all's view, others would so. Wouldn't those types of determinations be better made kind of at the, the project specific level? Uh, no, uh, Madam Hearing Examiner, we don't believe so. This particular interpretation takes such a broad swath at, at redefining this particular provision that it, it, it violates all these principles I've discussed facially. Um, and I, I would, I would, it, it, to the point where the city rejected our applications. They said, no, you can't submit these pairs of applications unless you redesign them to comply with this. So, you know, we, we don't, we never even have to get to uh, the scenario where we have a project specific uh, appeal before the hearing examiner. And, and in fact, because they rejected the application, it wasn't an application denial. I feel that I would have to bring a writ of mandamus or some similar tool uh, around LUPA just to get it in front of a judicial body. Um, I, I did admit that if they, you know, if they narrowed it down to the specific scenario outlined by the director where someone starts with a whole property and then short plats it, that they could then condition it and say, all right, well, you can't now treat this as two separate parcels for a given period of time or something like that. And I, I think there would be much more logical and common sense reasons to do that than, than anything that's been, been presented here today for, for how the city is interpreting and applying this really broad set of facts um, to the point where, you know, as we've discussed, it is incidental, quite possibly here that you know, that, that an applicant acquires an adjacent property or an interest in adjacent property or that a neighboring property owner says, I want to hire those people because they seem to be really straightforward and honest and, and I like what they're doing. But, well, sorry, if you hire me, you're not going to get as much money for your property. You got to go find someone else totally unrelated. You can't even hire one of my subsidiaries. Uh, and that just doesn't make sense to us. This is a facial challenge. Um, we, we, we use the Merritt Homes projects only for uh, you know, real world examples and, and because they were actually rejected for trying to submit these applications concurrently. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Kroll? Yes. I am prepared to present closing argument on behalf of the city. Okay, you may proceed when you're ready. Okay, so first of all, um, the city would note that the petitioners or the applicants here um, have to twist and torture the interpretation in order to say that it is too vague and too broad and beyond the scope of the director's authority. Um, I want to address one of their last arguments first which is that um, the city rejected their applications um, and thus this proves that their interpretation of the code is too broad. Uh, first of all, one, that's not before the hearing examiner. Two, um, the facts are that uh, they received a preliminary uh, response from a planner who is 
basically at the counter, we call them counter planners. And um, they knew about the two projects. And when only one came in, that planner said, I think you, you have to submit both so that we can, can review them together. Um, it was unclear that they were only going to submit one. When that decision came to the director, the director said, no, that decision should be accepted on its own if that's all that they're going to submit. And um, the person at the counter doesn't have speaking authority for the city. They're allowed to ask questions. They're allowed to rely on their knowledge um, that other applications on adjacent properties have been filed. Um, they are not held to the standard to know whether or not those applications have been withdrawn immediately um, at the time that they're approached. And so they simply don't have speaking authority for the city. Uh, the speaking authority for the city is the director and those applications were not rejected. So it is just um, false claim being made here in an attempt to say that the director interpreted his own interpretation too vaguely and too broadly. He testified here that he did not. And in fact, he did not. Um, we would just wanna make that clear. Although it's not before the hearing examiner, the facts have been um, inserted into this discussion. And we wanna make sure that it is clear how the director would interpret that type of situation and did interpret that type of situation. Um, the hypothetical is presented by the applicants is that um, the city does not, the city would require anyone with adjacent projects to, co to combine those projects and require common open space, even if they are not related in time or place. That's the hypothetical that they have to present in order to say that this interpretation is beyond the authority of the director. But it's a hypothetical and it's not true. Um, in order to believe their hypothetical, you have to believe certain facts that are not, uh, have been, not been presented as accurate. Um, one fact is that um, you would have to believe that this interpretation would apply to what they call remotely related projects or even unrelated projects. That's their claim, that the interpretation applies to completely unrelated projects. Um, projects that are um, being built at the same time by different developers, on properties that are not adjacent, but maybe face each other and in our close proximity to each other are not automatically going to be combined. We have a definition of related parties here that is applied to this interpretation. And related parties is a concept that is uh, legally accepted. Uh, it is reasonable. It is common for the director to say that his interpretation applies when it affects related parties. 
Um, and so it's not out of thin air. We're not creating a new code provision when we say that this interpretation affects related parties. Um, and all of their arguments that this is should not be applicable and it should be facially challenged are based upon the fact that they're claiming that the interpretation would apply to unrelated parties and unrelated projects. And the director testified that that is not true. Um, the city also did note the same as the hearing examiner and just wants to raise it again in his closing arguments to make the record that um, the fact that the director would make determinations on whether a project is five or more units based on the specific facts of an application that comes before him does not make the director's interpretation vague. It makes it subject to factual determinations of particular projects that are presented at the time. And just because the director cannot elucidate absolutely every situation in which the interpretation would be applied um, and five or more cottages would be the determination made or five or more cottages would not be found and open space would not be required is not the basis for determining whether or not this is vague. It's simply a fact specific determination that directors and cities make every day with almost every application. Uh, additionally, the director did not say that this determination would apply where projects are adjacent and they are um, sequential. For instance, the director said, if a project for four cottage houses has been built and the certificate of occupancy issued, which means that it is finaled, then if an adjacent project came in next door, this interpretation would not apply and would not require the completed project and the new adjacent project to have common open space. But what he did say was if he continues to receive sequential applications, he would sit down and talk to the developer to find out if there was some way that they could provide for common open space because that would be what is intended. But he's not, he testified that he would not make anyone rip up what has been built and finaled. And so, but if there is a pending application, if there is a permit that is issued and not finaled and an adjacent development comes in, then yes, this interpretation would apply. It applies to issued permits, permits that are issued and are active and are not finaled. So there, the director was clear about that. There wasn't any ambiguity. Um, with regard to 8202020, the only way that their argument 
is acceptable is if the hearing examiner decides that a project can only be completed on a single parcel of property. That every single parcel of property is a separate project and there is no such thing as a project that complies or comprised of two or multiple lots. And that is simply not the case. Every parcel of property is not entitled to have its own single development regulations as if it were separate from the parcel next to it. When the entirety of the parcels are being developed as a single project. When the entirety of parcels are being developed as a single project, then the subject property of the project by definition in the code is all of the parcels together. So their, their argument simply is vaporizes when you look at the actuality and reality of the code. Um, I don't believe I have any more to say other than that. Um, this is um, a condition that is going to increase cottage housing development in the city, increase housing that's avail available for the missing middle, increase um, middle income workers' ability to buy a home of their own and not have it be on a postage stamp. And the common area uh, requirement is to mitigate the development of the project itself, not the single family neighborhood that it's next to, but to mitigate the fact that you are now going to be developing 16 cottages instead of eight single family residences. And those cottages are going to have smaller private space. And so what you should do is provide a modicum of open common space for those 16 cottages, not for the residential neighborhood next door, but for those 16 cottages. It's their common open space where they can throw a football, where they can go out and enjoy living in a suburban area. Um, and the common open space does not devalue the property to the extent that Merritt Homes has argued. We know this because one, many properties uh, and projects of cottages with five or more and common open space are being built in the city right now in today's conditions. The director testified to that and we provided evidence in the record of that. Second, uh, a common open space has a value. When people go to buy a cottage home, do they want to buy the cottage home that has access to common open space or do they want to buy the cottage home that has absolutely no access to any common open space? If both are priced the same, they're going to buy the cottage that has value, that has access to open space. And the developer could charge more 
because people will pay more for that. So there is value. Density is not the only thing that gives value to property. Uh, the director's interpretation here is consistent with section 170.40 of the zoning code. Um, the director has defined the common meaning of the words in the provision. Um, he has kept that definition consistent with the general purpose of the provision. And it is a logical and consistent with the comprehensive plan. Thus, we ask that the hearing examiner affirm the director's interpretation at this time. Does the party with the burden of proof may give some brief reply? Um, you may proceed, Mr. Mr. Williams. Thank you, Madam Hearing Examiner. So a great deal of discussion was made of uh, the city's rejection of the applications being at the permit counter, but in point of fact, these were submitted online. I would just like to point that out. Also, I do believe that the director stated that if a project was under construction that he would not then make them redesign the second one. But the code interpretation says quite clearly issued permits. And so, you know, I feel that what's been said here today by the director is inconsistent with the code interpretation itself. Uh, I also believe that our hypothetical was mischaracterized because I clearly stated that these would be adjacent projects sharing a common boundary line and under that scenario, the interpretation clearly applies. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Uh, one clarification that counter planners during COVID and when the city was closed, everything was online. There's still the counter planner. That's all I meant. Thank you for that, uh, that clarification. Okay, um, so this has been done remotely. I think everybody was able to hear everything. I think when there was one issue at one point and the, everything was just repeated. So I assume there were no concerns kind of with the remote nature of this process. It seemed to work okay. Is that uh, consistent with, <laughs> I see both parties nodding. So thumbs up, okay. Thank you. All right. um, so at this point, um, I'll take this under advisement. Um, I think my, my time frame for my decision, I think, is 90 days from when the appeal was filed, which was August 31st. I won't take that long. I think that would take me to the end of November, but uh, certainly it will uh, be much shorter than that in terms of getting getting this out. Um, well, it is almost November. I think I said end of, end, end of November. Okay. Um, sorry about that. You um, said into um, are there any procedural questions uh, from the par the the parties um, on this proceeding? Not the appellant. Okay. All right. Well, I do not have any further questions for either of the parties at this point. Um, Ms. Dines, was there anything else that we need to address this morning? Oh, Ms. Dines. Oh, there you go. Just wanted to check in with you to make sure there was nothing else that we needed to uh, address this morning. Oh, okay, all right. I just check on the technical aspect, make sure we've covered everything. So, okay. 
Um, thank you all for your participation. We are adjourned. Thank you. Thank you.